Stop being nice. Self-defense, self-awareness, self-development. This is the Martial Arts Podcast with Phil Elmore. Hello and welcome to the Martial Arts Podcast with Phil Elmore. The Martial Arts Podcast with Phil Elmore is a production of themartialist.net and philelmore.com. I am the aforementioned Phil Elmore, your host. Let's see how many times I can say my name in the opening. This week, I thought we would talk about a topic that is sort of central to this book, uh, Street People Strategies, which is available now on Amazon in paperback and Kindle. This book is the culmination of pretty much 20 years of, of research. Um, I don't want to imply that I've been researching it for 20 years, but basically I've been experiencing stories that ended up in this book some of them 20 years ago, some of them as recently as a few months ago. And that is that anytime you are out and about in public and someone approaches you in a dangerous world, such as the one where we live, sometimes those approaches are people who mean you harm, people who want stuff that you don't want to give them. Most of the time when somebody approaches you and they ask you for a light or the time, or they're trying to beg money off you, that's all they want. Once in a while, those requests, those queries, those attempts to engage you in conversation and therefore get you distracted, those are a preamble to trying to mug you, and there's no way around that. But the single biggest problem that everyone has when it comes to self-defense is them. <laughs> By that I mean you are the single greatest obstacle to you successfully defending yourself, because you have baggage. You have baggage in the form of the social contract under which we all believe we live. You know that there are certain expectations of you, or you believe that there are certain expectations when it comes to your behavior relative to other people, and you fear the social sanction of your peers should you take certain missteps. Now, I know some of you are probably like, I, I'm not afraid of anything. They can socially sanction me all day. Well, yes, it's fine to say that, but we all have limits to the, the degree to which we would be able to live as a pariah in whatever setting you could imagine. Um, many of us like to think that, you know, we're avant-garde individuals who are willing to live independently of our fellow human beings. But the fact is, we all have limits, and it is quite possible for your life to be ruined by social sanction. What is the phenomenon of getting canceled today if it is not having your life ruined, or at least having people try to ruin your life, because you've done something that they don't approve of? And the difference between being canceled and just the consequences of your actions, because there are people who love to say there's no such thing as cancel culture, there's only consequence culture. Well, no, because when we destroy people's lives for having perfectly legal, perfectly reasonable opinions that just happen to lie outside what is considered politically correct by progressives, that's when we run into problems. There is no such thing as cancel culture on the right. There is only cancel culture on the left. And that is because the right wing in this country, in our society, in modern life, does not control any of the institutions. It is not possible for conservatives to destroy your career because they don't control any of the careers. It is not possible for conservatives to keep you from getting a job because the conservatives don't control any of the jobs. Yes, 
there are individual exceptions, you know, a conservative who happens to own such and such a business. But like when the CEO of Mozilla was kicked out of his job or forced to step down, depending on how you want to look at it, it was because he had contributed quite legally and reasonably to a cause that defends traditional marriage, that did not want to legalize gay marriage. There was nothing wrong with, it, with his opinion. It was an opinion held by the majority of Americans at the time. And yet, when his donation was quite illegally leaked to the public, he lost his job over it. He lost his career over it. That is what being canceled is. So, <laughs> I'm sorry, that's a political aside, and I don't mean for this to be political as such. What I'm saying is, we all live in fear of the social sort of boundaries in which we all operate. And your willingness to violate those social boundaries has a direct bearing on your ability to defend yourself. What do I mean by all that? Sometimes you have to be rude. Sometimes you have to be rude in self-defense. I had a manager once who referred to summoning your inner... I'm going to use the word jerk because I try not to swear on this podcast. He used a word that was a lot more rude. But summoning your inner jerk means sometimes you have to be willing to be rude to other people in order to not let them push you around. And in extreme cases, you have to be willing to be rude in order to stop them from hurting you. So one of the, one of the greatest examples of that is a woman gets into an elevator and a man gets onto the elevator with her. She does not want to ride in an elevator alone with this man because while they are trapped in that metal box for whatever brief duration, she is completely at his mercy. So when he gets on, she jumps back out before the doors close. Many people listening to that scenario immediately start to feel a little not okay, a little anxious because of the social contract that says to do that would be very, very rude. If, for example, she's white and he's black, he might assume that she's a racist. And for a lot of people, that really gives them pause. We don't want to be accused of being racists or homophobes or transphobes or any other phobe. So sometimes the social contract and those boundaries that we all operate within prompt us to do things that make us less safe in the name of not being rude, in the name of being nice to other people. And I'm here to tell you, Stop being nice. Nowhere is this more apparent than in the reaction that I've gotten to the material from this book and the material on which this book is based. Street People Strategies is basically, I adapted material that I wrote 20 years ago and created new material for this book, and I added to it self-defense uh, recommendations for physical self-defense. I then created a Facebook ad, not, not a whole lot, uh, just a little bit to advertise the book and get it out there. And to my surprise, but not really, when, when people start seeing the ad, you know, these are people you don't know who are seeing your ad in their timeline. Facebook lets you tailor who gets shown the ad. Uh, this is why Facebook exists. Facebook exists to create elaborate demographics from the elaborate information that you allow it to collect from you to more accurately sell you things so that it's more likely you'll be shown a product you'll actually want to buy. That is why Facebook exists. And for no other reason. Anyone who tells you any other reason is lying to you. As the old saying goes, when the product is free, you are in fact the product. So 
I used Facebook to my advantage, and I put out just a very small spend of advertisement for Street People Strategies. And the comments started to roll in. Person after person who saw that book was deeply outraged that I would dare to target the less fortunate. Where is my compassion? Why am I so mean? And this, in fact, is a reaction that I've gotten repeatedly over the, the years that I've talked about this issue. Why am I so passionate about this issue? Because, well, for one thing, I've seen a lot of things that I can't tell you because they're not my stories to tell that resulted in very bad things happening because your average street person, your average homeless person and or street denizen, sometimes they have homes, sometimes they don't. Uh, I have seen the results of those people preying on others, and I've seen it get really, really bad. Uh, this makes me very unhappy. For uh, many years, uh, starting around 20 years ago, um, I used to go downtown in Syracuse all the time. And Syracuse at that time, and probably still, has a very bad uh, aggressive panhandling problem. 20 years ago, they were actually debating an ordinance to do something about the problem. They were actually debating what could be done, what sort of local regulation could be passed to, to help with this problem. As you can imagine, the editorial page of the local newspaper was full of people arguing about why this would be very, very bad and very, very mean and very, very cruel. Uh, because with these poor, noble, homeless people, we should not in any way target them. The problem is that the average street person is not your friend. Some of them are harmless. And <clears throat> I've been accused by people, one of the commenters on that Facebook ad, actually, uh, one of the commenters was actually uh, somebody who is aware of my work. Is like, you've been terrified of homeless people for the last 20 years. I'm like, no, that's not how this works. Trying to explain to people that, there, that a security threat exists, that a personal security threat happens when they interact with street people, is not the same thing as being afraid of homeless people. Now, I guess fear is part of self-defense in that obviously you don't want to be harmed and you're taking proactive steps to not be harmed. But that's not the same as walking around in a flop-sweating state of terror that, you know, someone uh, in a different income bracket, might you might be exposed to breathing the same air as them. It makes some of these people feel better about themselves, I guess. Like, well, he lacks compassion, but I'm a very compassionate person, blah, blah, blah. I, I guess if you are very insecure about yourself as a person, that's the kind of thing you need to feel better, I guess. Um, but yeah, I've gotten a lot of grief over the years from people saying that, that even pointing out that this happens is some kind of sin. Uh, it's not. It's never wrong to tell people when a security threat exists. But this misplaced compassion has always muddied this issue. You have to stop being nice. Self-defense requires that there are times when you must be rude. This is the first point of five points that I'd like to make in the course of this podcast, which is sort of vaguely about street people strategies and about the concept of street people and the homeless overall, but is also sort of about this topic of misplaced compassion. Uh, because I don't, I, I don't want people to get hurt because they don't understand that it's all right to take personal security seriously. It doesn't make you a bad person. The single most egregious example of this 
is that in the editorial pages of the newspaper 20 years ago when they were debating that panhandling ordinance, I remember this to this day. I wish I thought to clip it out and put it somewhere. Um, this, I think it was a woman, wrote in and said that they had worked with the homeless community in the area for years. And only once did they ever get stabbed. And they blame, the pain that they felt from being stabbed was nothing compared to the pain that they felt that society would let people come to this pass. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the very definition of misplaced compassion. That is somebody who really doesn't get it. Somebody who, as we say, has lost the plot. You didn't take your personal security seriously, and even after you got stabbed for it, you're still trying to blame society. So, point number one, sometimes you have to be rude. Sometimes you have to tell people, no, sorry, don't want any, don't get closer to me. I told this story in a previous podcast. I tell this story in Street People Strategies, among many, many others. Some of them, like I said, going back 20 years. Um, a guy came up to me. He was clearly looking to mug my girlfriend and I as we came out of a bookstore one, in one very nice, pleasant summer evening. Um, as soon as he hit me with the, excuse me, sir, excuse me, sir, which is how so many of these things start. I just, I said, no, no, thank you. He didn't like that. And it is arguably rude not to hear someone out to just be like, nope, you know, to give them the talk to the hand response. But sometimes you have to be rude in order to preempt the whole line of BS that's coming after it. If you're in that elevator and some guy gets on, I don't care if he's screaming at you that you're a white supremacist, leap back out of that elevator if it makes you feel safer to do so. Do not let your desire to be seen as nice put you in a dangerous situation. There are countless other scenarios we could construct, but my point is, if at any time you want to do something that you think will make you safer, but you're afraid to do that thing because you don't want someone to accuse you of being mean or being racist or being some sort of phobist, do it. Do the thing. Be safer. To hell with them. Point number two, though, is that you have to keep these things in perspective. When I say being, sometimes you have to be rude, I don't mean to be inflammatory. Being rude to me is, is violating that social contract. It's not playing by the rules that society tells you you have to play along with. So the lady who jumps back out of the elevator, she's breaking the rules. She's making that guy think she might be a racist, but to hell with him, she's safer. That's one thing. It would be a, quite another thing to be inflammatory about it. You know, as you're leaping out of the elevator, you're like, so long, sucker. Or, you know, homeless guy walks up to you on the street and instead of saying, no, no, thank you, you immediately go, back the F up, you son of a bee, and I blah, 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 and I'll take your whole family. You know, there are ways you can make your situation much, much worse by you know, not being polite. It, you can be rude, but polite about it. And I know that's a contradiction in terms, but you can enforce your boundaries and do things that society considers rude or racist or phobic while also maintaining your composure and not using any more firmness than is absolutely necessary to the situation. So initially you don't have to necessarily raise your voice or scream or shout profanity. Sometimes you have to escalate to that. Sometimes some people will not hear you unless you use profanity. But you can enforce your boundaries, say, no, no, thank you, get your hands up, just preempt the situation, and do so with a minimum of fuss. I would, I would characterize that as being polite while being rude. 
Um, because again, you're, you're not letting the social contract force you into a situation that makes you less safe, but you're also not being any bigger of a jerk about it than you need to be. Point number three dovetails with those first two, and that is you have to remember that being accused of being a racist or a, a phobist or an ageist or whatever, it's meaningless. People will call you a racist in any walk of life. It is the, the number one weapon of just about anyone on the street these days. I've had people accuse me of being a racist for making a phone call. I've had people accuse me of being a racist uh, for, uh, well, the story I just got done almost not telling. <laughs> the guy that mugged me out, tried to mug me outside the bookstore was accusing me of being a racist because I was white and he was black. The accusation means nothing. Online, when people accuse me of being a racist, I think they expect anytime they say, well, you're a racist, that the other party will then be put on the defensive and be forced to try and defend themselves and justify their position and insist that they are not racist. But I myself, the accusation means nothing to me because when everything is racist, nothing is. So anybody who accuses me of racism for protecting myself or accuses anybody of being a racist for putting themselves in a safer position, that accusation means nothing. You need to treat it like the pointless, completely frivolous accusation that it is. The same goes for any, you know, accusing you of, like, uh, if you're accused of being a transphobe because you don't want a 300-pound man in a dress to use the bathroom while your 14-year-old daughter is in there, um, th that accusation means nothing. Do what makes your child safer. Um, you know, insist on boundaries that, that make you and your family safe. And to hell with anybody who has an accusation to make because their accusations have no power. As long as you stand your ground and don't apologize for anything as if you are guilty of something, you will be amazed how well that serves you. Multiple times in just stupid online arguments, I've, you know, somebody like, well, you're a racist. I'm like, your accusation means nothing to me. Mind you, this is not denying it. If you start denying it, you're already losing. If you start trying to defend yourself or explain yourself, you are losing the argument. An argument and a self-defense altercation are not that different in that two people want two different opposed things. The self-defense situation just involves an in-person component of physical violence and has escalated to that point, or could. So remember when that accusation is made to give it no power. Because it has no more power over you than you allow it to have. I just got done saying that being accused of racism is a great way to be canceled, but the way you would handle that in that situation, online or in popular culture, is the worst thing you can do is apologize. If somebody tries to quote-unquote cancel you and accuses you of some crime, you don't apologize. You double down. If you're arguing gun control with somebody and like, you just want children to die, you look at them, you say, no, just yours. Because, of course, it's absurd. So you don't let them make that accusation. Um, always, always remember that apologizing is losing when someone is accusing you of something that isn't true. I'm not saying don't apologize if you did something wrong. Uh, I think it was uh, uh, Jim Belushi, John Belushi's younger brother and the, the remaining extant Belushi in popular culture, wrote a book called Real Men Don't Apologize. <laughs> And the book was all about how he refuses to apologize for things. And I think you can take that philosophy a little too far, but it's probably worth reading if you can dig it up. It's an old, obscure book now. I doubt it's still in print. Um, so remember that anyone making the accusation that you're some kind of racist 
that has no power. And also that you can extrapolate that to this, this notion that police exist to just murder various marginalized groups. Like the, the average cop wakes up in the morning and walks out of the house going, how can I murder people today? Obviously that's ridiculous. That is not to say that abuses of police authority do not occur because they do. Um, I watch a channel on YouTube called audit the audit, which they do a good job of very sort of even handedly looking at incidents where police are exceeding their authority and incidents where police are not exceeding their authority. And it's a very interesting channel. They offer some, some legal analysis that isn't supposed to be considered legal advice. I would strongly recommend that you watch it. If you get the chance, there's a lot of interesting stuff on there. Um, but remember that police are just people and some of them are good and some of them are bad, just like people overall. Um, and anyone who tries to claim that, uh, you know, I, I had to preemptively freak out because I don't feel safe that the police are even talking to me. Well, you just created your own problem, pal. So that's kind of an aside to the issue at hand, because I'm assuming that most of you are not going to be interacting with police in the context of self-defense. Most of us are law-abiding citizens. So, so to review, point number one, sometimes you have to be rude in self-defense. Point number two, being rude doesn't mean being inflammatory. You have to use only the amount of rudeness that is necessary. Enforce your boundaries. Be politely rude. Uh, rule number three, being accused of things like racism or, or some phobia is meaningless. Those accusations have only the power that you give them. Uh, point number four is telling people about this security threat. Acknowledging it yourself. Being aware that interacting with the homeless or street people is not the safest thing you can do that does not make you a bad person i have had people accuse me of being a bad person for talking about and writing about this issue for the last 20 years and it doesn't make you a bad person now i might well be a bad person for other reasons but not because of this and if you read the book and heed what it says if you acknowledge the concepts related in the book if you then go forth and stop giving money to people who come up to you on the street stop interacting with people who come up to you on the street enforce your boundaries and keep them off you that does not make you bad it does not mean you lack compassion it does not mean there's something wrong with your approach to life or that you're mean-spirited or any of the other nonsense that these idiots accuse you of all they're doing is putting you in danger. I swear to God, if there was an actual zombie apocalypse, some of these imbeciles would be running around protesting for zombie rights. And some of them would get eaten for it. That's how ridiculous the attitude is. And then finally, uh, there's an attitude I'd like to address that it often comes up whenever we talk about self-defense. It frequently comes up when we talk about things like women's self-defense. And that is this idea that don't teach women how to defend themselves. Teach men not to assault them. And other ridiculous variations on the theme that we wouldn't want to actually empower citizens to protect themselves because that's, I don't know, racist or sexist or homophobic or something. No, we must teach the criminals to stop criminaling. As many times as I'm confronted with this attitude, it's still drives me nuts it's a stupid attitude it will never be anything but a stupid attitude to protect yourself means to proactively take responsibility for yourself and those that you care about you cannot demand that the world conform to your wishful thinking you cannot demand that all the criminals in the world stop criminaling because it's never going to happen 
you will get assaulted and be caught unprepared if you adopt that attitude. And if you start trying to project that attitude onto other people, you know, stop teaching people about the security threat of the homeless. We need to, you know, fund programs that eliminate homelessness instead. Nobody's saying the two can't exist at the same time. But as the book explains, the statistics on the issue do not lie. Um, most people who are street people are there for their own reasons. Either they have substance abuse problems or they have mental problems or both. Um, that is just the fact of the issue. And you're never going to be able to eliminate the existence of street predators. You're never going to do it. So the only thing you can do is take responsibility for your self-defense, learn what to do, and tell other people what to do. That's why I wrote Street People Strategies. That's why I hope you'll pick up a copy. There is a link in the description. So you can go to Amazon and get your copy. I cannot put it any more plainly than that. Um, you must take responsibility for self-defense. And that means when someone approaches you on the street, you have to view that threat realistically for what it is. Set aside all your misplaced compassion. Stop being nice because you can't afford to be nice. Sometimes to defend yourself, you have to be rude. And that's just how it is. All right, uh, that'll do it. This has been the Martial Arts Podcast with Phil Elmore. I have been the aforementioned Phil Elmore. Until next time, pretend I said something cool here. This has been the Martial Arts Podcast with Phil Elmore. Visit us online at linktree slash Elmore.